This podcast is recorded in front of a live studio audience at Legend Comics in Omaha, Nebraska. Hi, it's Tim Casher from Cursive, and you're listening to Two Headed Nerd Comic Cast with Joe and Matt. Welcome to episode 83 of THN. We're talking comics and nerd news for the week of Wednesday, September 25th. My name is Matt Baum. That's at Matt Baumstein on the Twitter. And when I'm not waiting 36 damn hours to take my iPhone 5 out of the house while the good and hardworking people of China float my protective case across the ocean on a single-sail barge, hand over hand, I picture them like pulling a rope that like brings it into San Francisco Bay. I am the executive producer of this show and CEO what? of the Lords of Discipline, LLC, you're, you're, and I write the Comic Speculator what? blog and appraise comics for WorthPoint.com. You're the executive producer now? Go ahead and read your cute little part. Hey, guess what? <laughs> I'm the head writer and editor-in-chief. <laughs> and I'm Joe Patrick 116 That's at JoePatrick116 on Twitter. And when I'm not being relegated to email answering, proofreading, and other clerical duties as part of my new job as Secretary for the Lords of Discipline LLC. I'm the manager of Legend Comics in Omaha. Nebraska. I hired a hot one, ladies and gentlemen. This week, <laughs> you'll hear reviews of Happy Number One and Talon Zero. After that, we'll review ten more comics faster than a Korean rapper can outlive his 15 seconds of fame. And then we'll visit the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where sacred geometry and arcane algebra and irresponsible drug use will allow us to explore the secrets of next week's comics. And our crack team of calendar scientists have just informed me that it's once again a fifth week and we're getting in the Halloween spirit by counting down our top five favorite comic book monsters. But before we get to all that whining and complaining, let's take a moment to welcome the real officials back to the NFL and hope against hope that the miscarriage of justice that took place on Monday night when the Green Bay Packers were all but robbed of their victory will never repeat itself and then we can talk about this week's big news. Is that football? That is football, buddy. The question of which director has the vision and talent to bring a Justice League movie to life is the subject of heated debate among comic fans. Recently, some new rumors have come to light that will fuel nerd fights around the world. It seems that Warner Brothers is considering controversial creator Frank Miller... (sighs) As a poten- as a potential candidate, because of his amazing work on the Spirit, I can't even get through the sentence. God, as a potential candidate to helm their JLA film, according to BleedingCool.com, undercover Warner Brothers employees entered an unnamed comic shop posing as fans <laughs> and quizzed staff members on a number of topics, from the impact of comic films on comic sales, the relative lameness of Aquaman. By the way, he's awesome. He's totally awesome. And the prospect of DC's superhero films made without Christopher Nolan's involvement. This sounds like the Coneheads showed up. <laughs> kind of. We are from France. After getting... We are interested in your Earth culture. <laughs> After hearing some harsh criticism of the Green Lantern and Jonah Hex film adaptations, the undercover agents <laughs> dropped the big bomb. What would fan reaction be to a Justice League movie with Frank Miller's name attached? There's a, there's a collective. <laughs> of course, <laughs> seeing as Bleeding Cool isn't always accurate, I was ready to write the story off as completely, impossibly ridiculous until our good friend Ryan Sirik from the Movie Hop podcast came into Legend this week and told me he heard the exact same thing from a completely different source terrifying i'm just not it's a terrifying idea i'm not buying it uh and at least one maybe it was a joke maybe (sighs) these people did this as a joke really they could get on dc entertainment the company that has its finger on the pulse of what fans want Uh. 
At least one comic creator has been courageous enough to voice his own concerns. Legendary Justice League artist Kevin Maguire, whose name I did not write in the script, said over Twitter, quote, No f***ing way. <laughs> Just no f***ing way. Miller doesn't love the characters he gets on them. <laughs> I think that about sums it up. Oh, I, I'm going to just leave it to Kevin Maguire. <laughs> like, those are my exact thoughts. In fact, I think I said that when you told me yeah, this. I think sounds, I had the same quote. It sounds completely unreal. Yeah. Like, how just, can anyone actually think that that is a good idea? And, like, the article went into the fact that they were wearing, like, these brand new like, shirts like, DC that still had creases from being folded yeah. on a shelf. And they were like, well, what do, what do you guys think of, like, uh, lesser, like, you know, comic book properties? And they're like, well, I don't know. It's good for some of the lesser lesser known characters yeah, comic movies are Hill, good and they immediately went like jonah hex and, and, like, and they're, no. they're like no that movie fucking sucked <laughs> and they made fun of they made fun of uh the possibility of an ant-man movie and then the staff at the shop was like actually it sounds pretty awesome yeah like oh, and so like they were so uh, Maybe they were aliens. Maybe they were aliens. Maybe in, they were from the future. In other movie news, Fox has recruited writer Mark Millar to act as creative consultant on their Marvel film properties and to help them develop their X-Men and Fantastic Four franchises into the future. Millar is no stranger to Hollywood, having written Wanted, Kick-Ass, and a number of other comic properties that have immediately been optioned for film. Can you say it in a Scottish accent? I can try, but it's going to be really bad. Don't do it. In Fox's official press release, Millar said, quote, as someone who spent his entire life obsessed with both comic books and movies, <laughs> this is essentially my dream gig, as it's a unique combination of both. I really like the Fox team. Love this bold new direction they have for the <laughs> franchise, and I'm proud to be working alongside some of modern cinema's biggest talents. He's Scottish, by the way. Haggis bagpipes. <laughs> Fox has a number of Marvel properties in development at the moment, including next year's The Wolverine, starring Huge Jackman. Huge Ackman. The sequel to X-Men First Class, X-Men Days of the Future Past, from kick-ass director Matthew Vaughn, and a Fantastic Four reboot by Chronicle director Josh Trank, which could be really good. Chronicle was fun. Could be. Plus, Sir Patrick Stewart recently confirmed that he will be reprising his role as Professor X in dot 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 something. So, <laughs> Joe dot dot dot, is Millar going to be the Joss Whedon of Fox's Marvel film? Say what you will about Mark Miller, by the way, not Millar. I know, I like saying Millar, there's an A in his name. I think it's a good move. Those Scots don't pay attention to vowel sounds. <laughs> it's they, it's a bunch of jerks. <laughs> I think it's a good move by Fox to hire a comic book guy to help them yeah. make their comic book movies, especially somebody that knows Marvel like Mark Miller. Right. The guy wrote for Marvel. He wrote Ultimate Fantastic Four. He's written Ultimate X-Men. And whether you love him or hate him, he genuinely loves these characters. It's true. He's not a Frank Miller who makes a living of crapping all over these things because he never made his millions or he hates us or whatever and he obviously knows a little something about taking a comic property and yeah. making it into a movie i i i think it's a good move because we can all agree that the stuff we've gotten in the past has largely been crap. we need to go in a way different direction now here's what kind of sucks about it if they're gonna try and build like a separate Marvel continuity with the Fantastic Four and the X-Men in the way that the Avengers has built a Marvel continuity, that kind of sucks. Yeah, but I that's the way it's going to be, man. separate ones. Listen, here's a hard truth for you. Although they could do X-Men versus Fantastic Four. <gasps> here's a hard truth. <gasps> Marvel oh, Studios so cool. will never, no. ever get the rights back to those two No, properties. they're not going to. Fox isn't going to do it. 
or so, Spider-Man. I'd so rather have there, those two properties. There will effectively be three Marvel continuities. Spider-Man <laughs> movie universe, X-Men Fantastic Four, and Avengers. Yeah. You know? I would rather have those two properties be in the same universe, which it isn't even a guarantee. They're not even talking about that. But done and done well, yeah, I'm into it. I'm, I'm absolutely sure. optimistic. Give me good movies. Yes. All right, now let's be real for a minute. Let's get real. DC's Zero Issues have all been released, and they've done a pretty decent job filling in some of the history of the New 52, but mm. for uh, it's true, mm. a lot of past issues gotten filled in, but for every revelation... That's it, my patented I-don't-know squeak. It seems like another contradiction has popped up, and I don't mean purposeful changes like the multitudinous alterations to Tim Drake. Nice use of the word multitudinous. I, I really wanted to use it. That's good. It's a Scrabble ball buster. Yeah, right there. That's right. But these are inconsistencies in a timeline that is barely a year old. Uh, for instance, Batman and Robin Zero, Detective Comics number zero, and Batman number zero present elements of Batman's new history, including the birth of his now, I'm saying he's 11 now. Yeah. His 11 year old son, Damien. That I'll give you that. Just, they don't fit. They no. don't fit. Nope. Meanwhile, Deathstroke and Team Seven, which is only one month old. <laughs> Offer completely different versions of both Deathstroke's history and that of Team 7. Yep. And these books came out within weeks of each other. Well, to be fair, I mean, maybe the creators weren't allowed to speak to each other and none of the editors were in the same room and, you know, it was already at the printer. What do we do? <laughs> sure. Screw it. But, you know, DC isn't the only publisher guilty of this sort of thing. We no, tend to no. gang up on them. You can't go through an issue of Avengers versus X-Men without somebody remembering how bad it was when Jean Grey became the Dark Phoenix back in the Chris Claremont John Byrne X-Men days, except Jean Grey wasn't the Dark Phoenix, which is something they established over 25 years ago. Huh? Yes. What? Don't you remember? That's how they got around bringing Jean Grey back from the dead for X-Factor. They were like, the real Jean Grey was in a cocoon under the bottom of the... Oh, that's right. In the bottom of the river. That's that must right. have been the Phoenix posing as Jean Grey. Yes, that's so right. So Jean Grey was never the Phoenix, and yet every issue, someone's like, man, you remember when Jean went bad? That was the worst. Yeah, Jean couldn't control it. Right. Jean tried, and she right. couldn't. No, they don't it say was like, Jean went into a cocoon. Right, exactly. And I don't expect them to say, well, actually, it was a cocoon. Right, 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 uh, right, the right, Phoenix right. in human form. No, that's ridiculous. Right. And Brian Michael Bendis We're, also has a history of ignoring established continuity and characterization to suit his stories. And I'm not just being a Bendis hater, it's true. Some inconsistencies can be trivial or they can be chalked up to publishers and creators changing their minds to better suit their ongoing stories. And we get it. There's a fantastic timeline of the new DCU out there that maps out the new continuity and highlights the things that never happened and don't make a whole lot of sense in this new DC universe online. And I will post a link to it in the show notes because it's long and I don't remember it. It's fantastic. But I spent like, I just was absorbed by it yeah, yesterday. It's great. So Matt, you've read the DC Zero issues. Is DC continuity broken? I think it is broken. I think DC continuity is fundamentally broken and they should have just started all over. You can't, and this is something that like my buddy Joel and I argued back and forth. You can't hold on to some pieces of the old universe just because you think they're cool and completely restart the universe. You can't do it. If you're going to do it, they should have gone Earth 2 and just restarted. This is beyond ridiculous. And how do you fix this other than starting again? You know? I well, mean, like, what they'll do you work do? out they'll work out the kinks as they go, I'm sure, but for being it's, a year old it is 
broken. The 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 point is is not to gang up on DC again because Marvel does it as well. I understand that you've got a different editor working on Deathstroke than you do working on Team Seven. Right. I get it. Right. Can't they communicate with one another? Apparently not. Apparently they are not allowed to. I think editorial has tried to keep such. And when when we say editorial a lot, and what we mean are the guys that are in charge of the guys, the guys that are steering the ship of the DCU. They seem to want to keep such a tight grip on the stories as the direction they think they should go that they it's like they forget to tell each other stuff. It's like one head doesn't turn around and look at the other head and go, oh, don't do that. <laughs> you know, right. like, like, that guy's dead. Or, no, that guy never existed. Or, that was never that guy's name. You know, I mean... It's one hand doesn't know what the other one is doing, and I think it's because they have too tight of a grip, whereas at Marvel, they have creators going on retreats with each other, mapping out the futures of characters and stuff like that. Are there still little problems here and there? Yes, but they're burps compared to saying, wait a minute, that guy never existed, or that this character was never this persona, when you just mentioned it not more than a year ago. I mean, like, that's big. They have fundamentally broken DC Well, I don't like that. When I'm against it, I'm against it. That <laughs> is the big news for this week. If you'd like to discuss these stories or anything you think we missed, head over to our Facebook page where we've retconned our origin story to better fit in with our more modern extreme attitudes and costumes that highlight our place in the fanboy universe, focusing on explosions, the size of our packages, and how we buried iFanboy years ago as the nation's number one comic book podcast. Uh, There's going to be a lot of V-necks. Yeah, a lot of V-necks. And uh, gloves. And knee pads. And weird lines yeah, for no lots reason. Lots of weird crustacean-looking armor. It's going to be really cool. It's totally extreme. Every week, my life partner, Joe Patrick, posts the aptly named question of the week on our Facebook and Twitter. If you want to play along, all you have to do is become a fan on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. And then we will read your responses on air. Not all of them, just, you know, the good ones. And you instantly become internet famous this week. Our question was, considering the problems facing the new 52, how important is continuity to you as a reader? And are good stories good enough? Or does it all need to fit? Quote, unquote, fit. You know what I mean. Joe, what are these listeners saying? We've got a lot of good responses this week. Again, thanks to everybody. Uh, New listener, Hansel Moreno. Welcome aboard, Hansel. At Hansel the Lost on Twitter writes in, Good stories are timeless. Retcon has made a few of my favorites null, but it doesn't take away from how much I enjoyed the story. Fair enough. Fair point. Absolutely fair point. It doesn't mean you can't go back and read the stories you love. Right. We were just saying, I mean, about the movies. Go ahead and give us good movies, and we don't care. We'll, We'll start over. Whatever. Sean McDonald, also on Twitter, writes in, Good stories are enough. Batman Incorporated and Snyder's Batman are excellent, despite very little continuity between them. Couldn't agree more. Uh, but he goes on to say the problem for the New 52 is that it, there, are, there are too few good stories. <laughs> I, I tend to agree. I tend to agree. I, didn't, I really didn't want to make this ganging up on DC. <laughs> we do it a lot. Hey, it's not us. These are, the, these are our listeners. This is the people. Now, here's a, another opinion from Mike who is writer Mike A. on Twitter. 
I want to watch things happen in the story, not hear about a bunch of unrelated crap that happened outside the book. Fair enough. Good stories are key to him. Continuity, hmm, And there's so a lot much. of people out there that just read one book. They're like, hey, I grew up reading Batman. All I want to do is read Batman. I don't care about what's going on in Green Lantern or, you know, the Ravagers. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which the Ravagers. Nobody cares about. <laughs> and our last one from Twitter this Sorry, week. Sorry, Howard Mackey. I'm not getting up on you. <laughs> the last one from Twitter this week from Mark Anthony White. I make my own continuity. I'm not about to let some corporation tell me what stories are, quote, important. (laughs) Right on, brother. Fight the power. (laughs) It's time, once again, for DJ and I to dig up the ancient burial ground that is this week's new comics and foolishly disregard the supernatural payback that will be visited on our genitals by the tomahawks of angry spirits as we review two of this week's comics. Joe Patrick, tell these nerds what you read. And I do not want to take a tomahawk to the genitals. You're not going to like it, I'll tell you that much. A supernatural tomahawk. Oh, Yeah, you know what a regular one feels like. I mean, we all know that. We all, we can all relate. (laughs) My review is of happy number one from Image Comics written by Grant Morrison with art by Derek Robertson and colors by Richard P. Clark. Here's your solicit. Meet Nick Sachs, a corrupt, intoxicated ex-cop turned hitman adrift in a stinking twilight world of casual murder, soulless sex, eczema, and betrayal. (laughs) With a hit gone wrong, a bullet in his side, the cops and the mob on his tail, and a monstrous child killer in a Santa suit on the loose. Nick and his world will be changed forever this Christmas by a tiny blue horse, a cold happy. I'm saying Grant Morrison wrote that solicit because that pretty much sums it up. That's a good solicit. (laughs) I was looking forward to this one. I am always eager for a new series from Grant Morrison because he's been at DC for years. And I thought it would be fun to see something not Batman related. Right. You know, I, I love his Batman. So, Happy is about as different from Morrison's DC work as you can possibly get. Even Vertigo work. (laughs) It's true. The book opens with some wise guys setting up a hit on Nick Sachs, our lead character, but what they don't know is that not only was Nick expecting them, he was hunting them. Twist. And he set up the hit. He set up his own hit. Oh my damn. An unexpected gun battle lands Nick in the hospital, and that's when things start to get weird. There isn't too much I can say about the plot beyond the opening pages, because I don't want to spoil the introduction of Happy. We already know he's a tiny blue horse. Yeah. Uh, there's a neat twist in the series at the end, and but I just loved it. I loved this book. I'm shocked. I really did. I am shocked. I really did. It stinks, because I can go into why I love the way the plot's moving, but I don't want to spoil that. No, no, no. I get it. But I, I mean, we can still talk about it. Yeah. Grant Morrison has been writing superhero stories for so long, I've kind of taken for granted what an amazing writer he can be, though I'll be the first to admit some of his work is hit and miss, but when he hits, he hits big, Yeah, and this is a big hit. Uh, Nick Sachs was a great character. He was f- a fun take on the traditional, you know, disgraced cop. I really loved it. Like, he almost- He was a fun take on Punisher, is what he was. Kind of, yeah. Well, he's like- Definitely. He, you can tell that he really hates himself, and after he gets shot- and they find him laying in the snow. He's mad that they didn't just leave him to die. Yeah. He's not a good guy. And no. he's not a nice guy. No, but no, 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 no. 
uh, I just enjoyed I enjoyed his personality. We he, do his know cleverness. He was a cop. He had a family. He was well decorated, and something went drastically wrong, and now he's a drunk. Yeah, Hit and now man. he kills people. Yeah, Jack asshole, basically. And I don't think any of that will be revealed, nor do I think it really matters. No. All that matters is that this is what he was, but this is what he is now. I've been a fan of Derek Robertson ever since I first saw his art in New Warriors number 26 back wow. in 1992. Wow. I remember it vividly. It just all comes back to New Warriors for you, doesn't it? Hey, man, it? it really does. Good God. I have followed him from book to book Ever since, Transmetropolitan, which was his uh, five-year-long collaboration with Warren Ellis, is one of my favorite series of all time. Yeah, mine too. And his work has only gotten better over the past 20 years. Uh, Richard P. Clark sets the mood really well with his colors. The book has a muted grayish color palette, but then there are flashes of brilliant bright color, like when uh, you know guns go off or the ambulance drives yeah, by. Not to mention the book just looks dirty. Yeah. Every page looks like you don't want to touch the walls, the floor. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and then like when the people and then when happy shows up at the end, it looks different yeah. from the rest of the book. You yeah. Know, it looks unreal. Shiny, cartoony, yeah. cute. And yeah, this book is filthy. It's depraved. I loved it. There's a dude in a cockroach costume being surfaced by a hooker at the beginning. Yeah, really weird. Uh, and uh, it's bizarre, and it's very Grant Morrison-y, but not in that incomprehensible way right. that people dislike. I really enjoyed it. I can't wait for more. I'm giving it to buy it. I'm totally shocked, because I thought you were going to say that this was gratuitous, and it was gross. But then when I got to the twist, when we met the happy character, and I'm not going to spoil how it happens, I kind of realized that it was supposed to be as gross and as gratuitous and as disgusting as it is so that this other character that's part of the story is just a brilliant, bright contrast to the rest of the world surrounding right. Nick Sachs. Right. I'm really surprised you you liked it as much as you did. I loved it. Well, I'm a terrible person. No, not that you're a terrible person. You just, you're kind just of a, say it. You're kind of a prude crybaby. Just stuff say like it. This. Like whenever I make you read Crossed, you cry. You oh, know? no. Listen. <laughs> This is a far cry from Crossed. No, it is, it is, it is, it is. Crossed is gratuitous and gross. I'm just shocked. This was gratuitous in a different way, as far as language and, you know, some violence here and there, but, like, situational, basically. Sure, I mean, it it had purpose. Huge buy it for me as well. I'm saying this is the best work I've ever seen from Derek Robertson. I tend to agree. This is the best work I've ever seen from him. It looked great. Huge buy it on It was certainly beautiful with both the art and the color. I loved it. Matt, what did you read this week? I read Talon Zero from DC, written by James Tynan IV, plotted by James and Scott Snyder, with art by Guillaume March. This one spins right out of the pages. Um, excuse me, I think you mean Gwillem. Gwilliam. This one spins right out of the pages of Snyder's Court of Owls storyline, featuring one of the court's Talons, which is the name given to their chief assassins, gone rogue. Gone rouge. Rouge. Calvin Rose grew up trying to escape. Whether it was from his abusive father that locked him in a dog cage or a straitjacket in front of a packed house at Haley's Circus as their premier and youngest escape artist. Calvin was trained by a master escape artist and became one of the best and then was discovered by the Court of Owls. As we all know from reading Nightwing, Haley's Circus is a front for the Court of Owls where they train acrobats and escape artists and sword swallowers or whatever to be members of... 
their assassin force that they send out to kill enemies. Lion in, tamers. Lion tamers that they send out to kill enemies of their cause as they are secretly controlling the future of Gotham. I was really happy to see Guillaume March on this title after he left Catwoman, which we can all stop reading as of issue zero. Yeah. <laughs> March is perfect here. His lines are very heavy and kind of scratchy. His point of view is interesting without becoming ridiculous or confusing. He's a little more loose here than he was on Catwoman, and it gives Calvin, the character himself, this talent character, a real personality. He is a very acrobatic guy. He's quick with his fists. He's not afraid to, like, hit a woman, as we see in the book, which I don't think is necessarily a good quality, for the record. You heard it here first. But his, Matt's in favor of hitting women. His pencils remind me of a Kubert, but I'm not sure if it's Kubert Sr. or one of the juniors. It's definitely... It's Joe. Is that it? scratchiness? That's yeah. definitely Joe Kubert. I think you're right. Modern Joe Kubert. The colors here by Tomu Morey work very well to separate the flashbacks from the present. There's definitely some digital effects in the backgrounds, but they blend in really, really well with March's art. I didn't find it annoying at all. The comic is muted and dark when it needs to be, and then there's flashes of very bright action. It, it was a really, really beautiful book to look at. Tynan's story, and it is Tynan's, even though DC smeared Snyder's name all over the project, hoping it would sell as well as Batman. <laughs> could have come off as really hackneyed, but they took a, a different direction, showing us that Calvin wasn't necessarily like a bad guy turned good guy. He's always been a conflicted character. Right. Even as they were kind of training him up to be a talent, he was like, I don't know about this. Yeah, this seems a little, ooh, you know, but right. he had a he had a line. Right. He was always conflicted and he's not necessarily a good guy. He's killed people in the past. It, like I said, we see him smack a woman in a situation just to shut her up because it's the right thing to do so he can escape at that moment because oh. he is trying to save her life. Whereas Batman It was to keep her from like smashing him with a baseball bat or something. I, I get that. No, it was to keep her quiet so he could escape with her and the child and not have to kill them. Whereas opposed to Batman might put his hand over her mouth and be like, quiet, if you want to live, come with me. You know, he punches her out. He's a conflicted character. We don't really know if he's a good guy or a bad guy. All we know is he's been trying to escape from his past with the owls for most of his modern life. And I think it's going to make for a really interesting story. This is not Batman. This is not Nightwing. This is Talon. It's going to be a different storyline in the bat universe and i say the bat universe because right now the dcu feels completely disconnected <laughs> i also like the idea that he was an escape artist first and foremost that's where he came from not like a martial arts expert or an acrobat he was trained in all that stuff by the court of owls first and foremost he was harry houdini yeah he was escaping from straitjackets and ridiculous setups in the circus. That's really cool. And it works well with him also running from his past. This is an interesting character, a character with layers, and one that I'm really looking forward to reading. These are the kind of stories that can succeed in this new DCU. There isn't, you know, years and years and years of messy continuity that they have to change or retcon. It's just a new character that's going to be running around in the Batman-verse. And I say the Batman-verse because the rest of DCU feels completely disconnected. But I'm excited about this, and I'm really looking forward to reading more. I think Tynan is an exciting new creator. Yeah. And I, it seems like he came from under Scott Snyder's wing. I'm looking forward to more of this. Buy it. I agree. I liked it a lot. I am not as big of a Guillaume March fan. I, I like him. I, I like him. I love him. 
I, I think that his costume design is awful. It's weird. I think that the outfit that he's wearing is just dreadful. But it's also established. We've seen other but the talons other, dress like The this. other talons look terrifying. If you look at the like Calvin Rose with his blonde hair hanging out and his puffy shirt, yeah. and it's weird. I'm like, it's, what is this? What I, is he wearing? I kind of like it. It's far out. Uh, it's far out, for sure. But Guillaume March is a great storyteller, and I liked the book a whole lot. Like you said, I'm glad that it's a new character in the New 52. I don't have to worry about how they're cramming him in or altering something to make him fit right. wi- while breaking something else Wally in the process. West is talent. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. You just blew my mind. Bottom line is, this is a great book. It's ground floor. Buy it. It was really good. That's a double buy it for Happy and a double buy it for Talent. Right after we finished Smashing DC Comics, we t- talk about how great this book is. <laughs> That's two weeks in a row, though. Two we were double, row, double, we buy double buy it. We got to read something we hate next week. No. Of course, we want to know what you, rogue assassins and foul mouthed hallucinating hitmen, thought of these comics. So hit us up on our Facebook and let us know how gratuitous and one note our reviews really were. Now it's time for Joe and I to strap on the red and silver spandex with our silver fin twin helmets, strike a badass karate pose, and then cut to a scene of us rocketing through the skies perfectly horizontal on our way to kick the sh** out of the scab reps that screwed the Green Bay Packers out of their victory on Monday night. I'm not letting it go. But while en route to the ass blasting, we'll review 10 comics at ultra speed during this week's ludicrous speed round. Ludicrous speed! Go! Godstorm, number zero from Xenoscope. Apparently someone decided that it was a good idea to bring in the Greek pantheon of gods into Grimm's fairy tales, at which point I'm saying, you are really stretching things here, guys. <laughs> that said, this was not poorly written. The art was not great. But I still don't think I care. If you're into it, yeah, maybe you could buy it. I'm saying skim it. The Ultimates, 16, from Marvel. In this issue... Captain America. Ultimate Comics, The Ultimates, number 16, from Marvel. (laughs) In this issue, Captain America gets sworn in as the President of the United States. The Ultimate Universe America is really screwed up. This is for the second second time in Marvel continuity, right? No, 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 no. no. He ran for President, didn't he? Or they wanted to run. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway, uh, this is kind of fun, kind of cheesy. Captain America has one leg up on a ladder climbing into a jet, and he says, America is my White House. <laughs> and I laugh, but it, I don't know. I've been away from Ultimates for a while. It was fun to jump back in. I kind of miss it. It's, it's not the best. It's ballsy. But, eh. They can do stuff here that they can't do in the Marvel Universe. It's true. It's true. It is interesting in that regard, so I'm going to give it a buy it. Good art by Luke Ross. A fine and private place, number one from IDW. Uh, I thought the... I thought the title of this one sounded really boring, and then while I started reading it, I thought maybe it was really boring, but then I got to the end, and I went, this wasn't boring. This was actually really well-written. Now, this is an adaptation of a novel. Written by the guy that did The Last Unicorn. Peter Bagg. Beagle. Peter Beagle. Peter Bagg does hate. Yeah. Peter Beagle. And uh, it was really good. Very well-written. The art kind of fell down in a few places. The coloring made things look sort of flat, and I think maybe this works better as a novel. I don't know. We'll see when it's said and done. But, hey, first issue was good. I'm reading more. Buy it. But why is it a comic book? I don't know. 
The Goon 42 from Dark Horse. The Goon is another book that I will forget to read or get behind on for I months. Do it too. I do Sometimes too. years. Yeah. Which isn't saying much because we get maybe four issues of Goon a year. Right, right, right. <laughs> but it's like a solid eight issues. I pick it up and it's just like going home. The Goon is as good as it ever was. You don't need to know what came before. This was a great story with wonderful art by Eric Powell. It's got a backup story that's part two of two, though, or part two by Mark Buckingham. So I did miss out on part one. Still didn't care. It was great. <laughs> I'm giving it a huge buy it. Steed and Mrs. Peel, number one from Boom Studios. It's now a regular monthly series by Mark Wade, and I really, I don't know why I want to be excited about this, and I tried. It's just too damn British for me, man. I can't hang. Such too a much, racist. Too screwy, too British, and too bad they can't call it the Avengers because it might sell better if they did. I don't feel like a lot of people know what this is. I can only give it a skim it. National Comics Rosenthorn from DC. I was ready to hate on this comic. Rose and Thorn is a weird concept that DC has a habit of rebooting from time to time. Sort of a Jekyll and Hyde thing with a girl, right? Sort of. She's got multiple personalities, and and her alternate personality is a real like badass. Oh. And the whole the past deal is that her dad was killed by this uh, secret mob thing. Anyway, this is a totally different take. Her dad's still dead, and Thorn wants to kill all the people responsible. And Rose is like, ah, she's waking up covered in blood. Great art by Neil Gooch. Who I haven't seen in years. I miss that dude. Best last name in comics. Yeah, that's right. The Gooch. I actually really loved this book. The Gooch sounds like somebody that comes to kick the crap out of Ricky Schroeder. <laughs> you know, on Silver Spoon. Oh, crap, the Gooch. I'm giving this one a buy it. It's just a damn shame we'll never see it again. Because yep. it's National Comics one-shot. See ya. Westward number one from Kinetic Press. Kinetic Press is a little independent press. It's really doing a good job of putting out a quality product. This is a big, hefty comic. It's a good, long read. Sort of a steampunk thing. I don't want to give anything away, but it's sort of a Blade Runner type vibe to what's going on here. Still, I'm giving it a buy. You know what? Shell out some cash to these guys. They're taking a chance, doing a black and white comic that looks pretty good. I had some problems with the art. Buy it. Fury of Firestorm, Zero from DC. I thought this might be a good place to check in with Firestorm after not reading anything since number one. It is not! Uh, It's actually much better than it was. I don't care. I just don't care. I'm not sure I care. But it's way better than it was back when Ethan Van Skyver was co-writing it. Uh, the art, Firestorm, broken. No, I actually, I'm really, I enjoy it's. It's Ronnie and Jason, and Jason is the voice in the head, like Professor Stein used yeah, to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was decent. It's better than two of them and a Hulk Firestorm. There is some problems with the dialogue, and so I can only give it a skim. It. It did have really nice art by Yildre Sinar. Yeah, he's good. Yeah, he's, he's really good. good. But check it out. I just don't know if I care. Crossed Badlands number 14 from Avatar. David Hine jumps on as the new series writer here and proves he can be just as perverted and disgusting and weird as... Who's right? Garth Ennis as and Garth, David Lapham and Garth Jimmy Dennis. Delano. <laughs> yeah. And the list of other Avatar pervert sickos. I liked Badlands when it first started, but Cross is becoming very one note. I can really only give this a skim it. And the art was not great. Captain Adam Zero from DC. This is the final issue of Captain Adam, and if you recall way, way back to when we were doing a brand new world, yeah. a whole new world, whole the new 52, new <laughs> uh, we both really liked Captain Adam, yes. and neither of us continued to read it. Yes. Uh, unfortunately, it's the final issue because I really liked it. It is the origin of Captain Adam, and it's got great art by uh, Freddie Williams II, who's just so who talented. Who has changed up his style so a bit. So talented. And JT Kroll 
you know, who used to be DC's punching bag, yeah. did a great job with this series. I wish it had done better. I really liked this last issue. I hope he, you know, pops up elsewhere in the DC universe. I do too. I'm giving this one a buy it. Buy it for me as well. The wham! That is your ludicrous speed round. And so wham! is the sound it makes when Cerebus, the three-headed dog that guards the gates to Hades, stop. Body slams Hercules oh. as seen in this week's Godstorm number zero. Sorry, I sometimes I get confused between Cerebus and Cerberus. Cerberus is the pig. No, Cerebus is the pig. They're- Cerberus is the three-headed hound that guards the gates to hell. That's what I said, Cerberus. Moving right along. <laughs> and Cerebus was an aardvark, not a pig. Now we invite you to slip into one of our blood-red ceremonial cloaks and join us in the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where we'll be shotgunning the blood of Dreamgirl, along with our associate, Brother Blood, who has promised us that the blessing of Trigon the Terrible will allow us the forbidden knowledge of next week's comics. Matt, what of the buckets of Legion of Superhero Blood <laughs> revealed to you? I don't like this. I hate killing them just because it hurts you. Next week, I'm excited for Daredevil, End of Days, number one. This is sort of a take on Daredevil, The End, although they're not calling it The End anymore. It's Brian Michael Bendis, along with Klaus Jansen and David Mack, telling us the story of the death of Matt Murdock. I think it's going to be really fun. Joe Patrick. And hey, Bendis back on Daredevil. Yeah, right? Wipe the blood from your face and tell us what you'll be reading next week. I'm sorry, Dream Girl. You were always my favorite. (laughs) And delicious, too. My pick for next week is Avengers vs. X-Men number 12, a.k.a. Avex number 12 from Marvel Comics. Not necessarily because I've totally loved it up to now, but because I just have to know the spectacle. How it all ends. The spectacle. The spectacle. And before we mop up the gore that was Dream Girl, next week's trade paperback pick of the week is I, Vampire, Volume 1, pun intended, Tainted Love. This is one of the best new DCU books that you are not reading. Joshua Hale Fikalov is doing a fantastic job. Fialkov. Fialkov. Fikalov. Fikalov. F*** you, love. Is doing a fantastic job on this book. You really need to check it out. And I know we're all tired of vampires, but this is a fantastic story and another perfect example of a new storyline that doesn't have to play by any continuity rules and can just be itself and do what it does best. And that's be really creepy and violent and fun. I Vampire Volume 1. And hey, why wouldn't you want to check out another DC book after we spend the whole episode (laughs) bagging on them? As always... We want to know what you fellow blood cultists will be reading next week, but please wash your bloody hands before tweeting, posting on our Facebook, or sending us a damn email every once in a while. Come on, guys. Sheesh. Before we get into our top five monster countdown, why don't you read us some more answers to the question of the week? Aaron Myers, King of Ask a Nerd answered the question of the week in fact he was the first to answer the question of the week but i'm not reading his answer because Sorry. he's on the bench he's a thn love slave so <laughs> he's sit not, on your hands he's not buddy. eligible that's right employees are no longer eligible here's a good one from andy peters 
who writes. That doesn't mean you shouldn't answer. It just means we're not going to read them on the air. Because Necessarily. You, you have a mouthpiece on TwoHeadedNerd.com, and everybody loves Aaron Meyer's piece. He gets it. Here's a good one from Andy Peters. Instead of nerding on and on about this, I'm going with just write good stories and move on. And if parts of the New 52 were mistakes for DC... Then own up to it and fix it. Don't try to connect it to continuity again. Just move on. DC's fictional response is, Sorry, we ruined Superman, everyone. We promised to fix it with a new story or something, as promised a year ago. Or do what Apple did today in regards to their maps and offer an apology and alternatives until it's better. Hey, my maps work just fine. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I, I'll be honest. I don't understand this whole post because I don't know what's going on with Apple maps. I know some people tried to get to Kane's chicken and ended up in Japan or something. So <laughs> like, there was some weirdness there. But so what he suggests is instead of, you know, trying to shoehorn it in, just say, hey, if you don't like a character or story in the new 52, here's some good stories from the past. And in the meantime, here's what we'll do for fans to fix it in the upcoming months, years or decades or That's whatever. Pretty apologetic. Well, they'll never do that. No. They'll never do that, but no, it's won't. wishful thinking. Thanks for writing, Andy. That's cute. Oh, yeah, that's adorable. That's, that's cute, Andy. <laughs> but he, poor, misguided, naive fool. He, he finishes up by saying, <laughs> for me, the New 52 got him back into comics, not just DC. Yeah, and that's a good so thing. So for all that's, you know, quote unquote wrong with it. That is a good thing. It's doing good things. Zach Hallowell writes... 95% of the time, for me, it's about good stories. It's probably rooted in my love of Elseworlds and What If comics, but things like Barbara Gordon really bother me. I think the way they're handling it severely lessens the impact of what happened to her. I also think that with them making a big deal about a reboot, they need to just reboot and not have characters in the situations where they have so much backstory, it feels like you should be a few years in. Yeah. Which is exactly <clears throat> what we said over and over. They should have just started from scratch. Yeah, I agree. Or just hit the ground running and call it good. Don't try to hold on from everything else. Just hit the ground running and go. I am surprised how reasonable all our listeners are. We haven't had one continuity Nazi like step up and go, no, no, no. <laughs> we'll get to that. Nick Simon writes, for me, it has to fit. Otherwise, it ends up cheapening the stories. Nick Simon is that Nazi, yes. ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Nick Simon, Nazi. Why? <laughs> <laughs> Why should I be excited for the upcoming Joker storyline when I am supposed to forget about everything I ever knew about him? What is interesting in seeing Barry Allen finding his mother's killer again? I thought we already got that tidbit in Flash Rebirth. That is an excellent point. Yes. Uh, good stories are key, but it makes me less interested when DC tells me in the Zero Issues that Swamp Thing's first appearance was in 2011. Yeah, that's just dumb. It's what is the point of nonsense. that? It's like, we don't want to sell any of our old trade paperbacks? You know, yeah. <laughs> like, what? I agree with him, I, and I'm kind of there. We'll go into it more when we answer the question at the end of the show. And uh, I don't think Nick is an anti-Semite. He's a sweet kid. Still Nazi. Sweetest Nazi I have ever met. <laughs> Dwight Brown says they uh, DC should have done what Marvel did with their Ultimates line. Hey, if you like 70 years of Batman continuity, read the original. If you don't want to do that, you want to read a more modern Batman, here's this new line yeah. of rebooted. I, I agree with that it's as not well. not like it's going to muddy the Something waters Something for any everyone, further. he says. I mean... And finally, Jason Dossenbrock, who is the owner, or one of the co-owners of Legend Comics and Coffee, where uh, Matt and I get all our books, find sponsors of this show. For me, continuity is only important when it comes to character development. For instance, my views on Barbara Gordon in the New 52 are well known. He's pretty upset about the whole Oracle situation. He doesn't care, though, if Barbara and the calculator aren't arch enemies anymore, which is... Right. <laughs> which is continuity. Yeah. But if you're taking away Oracle, that's a big deal. The, the small details aren't as important as the broader strokes of character development. 
change for change's sake is no good. And I tend to I agree. really agree. I tend to that agree. That is a very we'll well-reasoned response. We'll go into that later. Good and pointed Backed responses. Backed up with, with examples and, yeah, Nicely good job, done everybody. This is what we've been trying to build towards. Good job. Because there were five Sundays this month, not Wednesdays, which is weird because in my head the show is completely Wednesday-centric, it's time for another THN Fifth Week event! This month, we're getting geared up for Halloween by counting down our top five comic book monsters! Now, DJ and I have not seen each other's list, so expect fights! Joe Patrick, why don't you get us started with your number five? You are my number five guy. (laughs) What? Really? That's... Jack Palance, Batman. I remember. Come on. My number five comic book monster is the Mauser from Hitman. (laughs) That's a good choice. Uh, The the Mauser (laughs) was reborn in hell from the souls of five Nazi butchers as one indestructible, ten-armed, gun-toting killing machine <laughs> with a swastika carved into his forehead. He was the bad news, And certainly. he was sent after Tommy Monahan in the pages of Hitman, not once, but twice, and Tommy narrowly escaped both times. He's a big, bad deal, and he can't <laughs> be killed. He was bad news. Yeah, you gotta have this, like some one, like, there's one magic gun in all the world that can kill him or something. It was the gun that killed Hitler, wasn't it? The Ace of Winchesters. No, it wasn't the gun oh, that I killed Oh, I thought Hitler. it was the gun that Hitler killed himself with or something like that. No, no. Uh, whatever. Matt, my number, five. my number five goes to Krakoa. When the X-Men uh-huh. first tussled with the living island Krakoa, they thought it was just a giant mindless monster, but as it would turn out, He's a mutant, just like the rest of them. And now he lives literally on the grounds of the Jean Grey School for Higher Learning and acts as their mutant security system. It's and when pretty great. Chris Bacello or Bachelo or however the hell you want to say his name draws him, he is so cool. Creco is my number five. Joe Patrick, what's your number four? Also from Hitman, my number four is Bator. <laughs> Bator is a demon that escaped hell and ended up tending bar at Noonan's Sleazy Bar in Gotham City. He didn't speak except to shout his name, I am Bator! <laughs> at everybody that walked in. Hey, all you people, all you Guardians of the Galaxy fans that love Groot, because he says, I am Groot. Yep. That's Bator's shtick, and Groot stole it. Fair enough. Uh, and among whatever weird demony powers he might have, Bator's claim to fame is that he is inedible. <laughs> a dinosaur tried to eat him and then puked him out, and Bator was completely unscathed. He can't be eaten. He's disgusting. Uh, and at the end of Hitman, Bator has a really nice moment, followed by a really hilarious moment as Tommy and his friend Nat the Hat leave Noonan's bar for the last time. I love Bator. Matt, give me your number four. My number four goes to Hellboy, Mike Mignola's cigar-chomping, stone-fisted, demon-from-hell-turned-monster-fighter, one of the most original comic characters ever created. I'm saying it. Eh. Not to mention iconic. I love Hellboy. Love him so much. He's tattooed on my left arm. I hate the Hellboy movies. Hate them both. One and two. They were bad representations of Hellboy Damn you, Guillermo del Toro, who I genuinely love as a director. You did a terrible <laughs> job on those movies. Joe Patrick, what is your number three? 
My number three monster is Fin Fang Foom, a giant alien dragon wearing purple underpants. Great choice. The purple underpants are important. What is not to love about Fin Fang Foom? He's awesome. Well, he didn't look evil enough until we put him in purple pants. Then we knew he was a yeah. villain. Check out this list of powers. <laughs> Acid mist breath, shape-shifting, telepathy, flight, prolonged lifespan, and... Fin Fang Foom is a martial artist. There you go. Of course. I love him. Yeah. He's awesome. He was supposed to be the father of Fire Breather, too. Phil Hester wanted Fin Fang Foom to be Fire, Bre- Fire Breather's dad, but Marvel yep. went, nah, no thanks. Passed on the concept, and, and then we got Fire Breather from Image. Which is still great. Yeah. But I, I love it. I didn't care for the cartoon. I liked Fire Breather, the cartoon. Uh, I just didn't like the animation style. It's cloying and stupid. Matt, what's your number three? My number three goes to Swamp Thing, the plant that thought he was a man. Barry Wrightson and Len Wein introduced us to the brilliant biologist Alec Holland, who, while experimenting with uh, biology stuff, was killed (laughs) by his lab assistant. But he didn't die! He was flung into the swamp by the explosion, and we later learned from Alan Moore that the earthly power of the green rebuilt him as the Swamp Thing, avatar of the green to protect the earth from the forces of the red, the rot, which is really, really gross. <laughs> That's pretty gross. I love him. I love him. I love the Swamp Thing so much. Joe Patrick, what is your number two? My number two is Bizarro. A That's fair. freakish right. yeah. science creation with all of the powers of Superman. Super Frankenstein, essentially. Yeah, but he's got a childlike mind and no real sense of morality. That is terrifying. Matt, give me your number two. My number two goes to Sasquatch from Alpha Flight. Dr. Walter Langowski was trying to repeat Bruce Banner's gamma radiation experiment that turned him into the Hulk, but for one wacky Canadian reason or another, it turned Walt into the giant, hairy, superhumanly strong Sasquatch. (laughs) Sasquatch, who, note, can go toe-to-toe with the Hulk. Big, strong dude. We've seen him pull a naval destroyer out of the water. People don't appreciate how strong that dude is. He's Sasquatch. Tough. My number two. He's tough. Nobody's saying he is. Joe isn't. Patrick, what is your number one favorite comic book monster? My number one is Hellboy. Oh. Mike Mignola's Hellboy. Good choice. Uh, Good choice. A demon summoned from hell to be used as a weapon by the Nazis, instead raised by the forces of good. Yep. Uh, I love Hellboy. I love everything that's spun out of Hellboy. I agree. And unlike Matt Bomb, I kind of like the movies. Uh, I don't like Liz Sherman no. in the Hellboy movies, but everything else, I love them. But yeah, Hellboy's my number one. I think he's one of the greatest modern character creations. Matt, lay it on me. My number one is completely predictable if you know me at all. But it goes to Godzilla, the king of the monsters. I'm not going to go into his origin, but he was a Godzilla-saurus. Some of us didn't know that. Before he got irradiated, Godzilla... Listen, the Matthew Broderick movie just oh, showed that stop, he it was like an iguana stop, or something. Stop, stop, That is not part of anything. In fact, if you get a chance, go to the How Was This Made podcast and listen to the guys from the league discuss their viewing of matthew broderick's godzilla it's wonderful oh, the how, way did, they, how did this get yeah how did this get made it's wonderful how they take it apart i have been a huge godzilla fan all my life i have a pristine run of the marvel godzilla comics which are perfectly terrible by the way but i could not help but pay way too much money for them in good condition I urge you, if you're a Godzilla fan at all, read IDW's Godzilla The Half-Century War by James Stokoe. It is far and away the best Godzilla comic ever written. Godzilla is my number one comic book monster. 
I thought of like five others just while we were doing this list. Yeah, I, Devil Dinosaur. He should have been on my list. I Devil love, Dinosaur is not a monster. I love Devil Dinosaur. He's definitely... If Godzilla's a monster, Devil Dinosaur's no. a monster. Is Devil Dinosaur 50 stories tall? No, but he is mutated and more intelligent than normal dinosaurs. Sorry, buddy. He's a monster. And I would say all dinosaurs are monsters. If they're walking around today, they got no business being alive. They are monsters. Devil Dinosaur is not alive. His stories took place in the past. The dinosaurs in the Savage Land. Are they monsters? Yes or no? No, they're dinosaurs. They are not supposed to be around. They're monsters. I'm not going into it. You can check out more on our top five favorite comic book monsters over at the new and improved TwoEditNerd.com where we'll be posting... The monster bios from our top five and some snippets on why we love them so much. Sort of break it, break it down like this. And that is it for this monstrous, backhanded DC compliment episode of THN. If you love the sound of a giant two-headed freak stomping through the world of comic book news, you can subscribe to this show on iTunes where your star ratings and reviews help other listeners make that very difficult decision to click the subscribe now for free button on iTunes. Side note, we're pretty sure we figured out the problem of the lost episode back catalog and it should be fixed very soon. Huge thanks to all of our donors and if you'd like to help keep us in insurance policies for destruction of public property, you can make your donation in any amount at the new and improved twoheadednerd.com. At this point, it's almost two months old. Still new. Still improved. Still new. Yeah, and it is vastly improved. Have you been there? It's so sexy. John from Burnt Wieners has posted some new reviews of comics from this week. Matt's wife Casey has a weekly blog, part two of her adventure into Matt's Spotify on Girl Meets Nerd. That'll be on Monday. We got Aaron Myers writing reviews, King of Ask a Nerd. We booted him from the show. We no longer read his responses because we gave him a job. Sorry, Aaron. You work for us now, sucker. While you're there at TwoHeadedNerd.com, you can find links to our Twitter feed and our email, TwoHeadedNerd at gmail.com, where you can send us your love slash hate mail or the comic that you would like us to review. We love getting comics from you guys. Or your intro to the show. Send us your intro in MP3 format, and if it's awesome, you may get to introduce THN. Next week on the show, we're introducing a brand new segment called The Greatest of All Time, where we discuss the best work of a certain creator or perhaps a character's storyline or maybe a death scene whatever it's just got to be the best so next week we'll be discussing the greatest comic event series of all time remember to follow us on twitter we are at two-headed nerd and like our facebook page if you want to get in on the question of the week you can check out our answers to the question of the week over on our question of the week audio blog at www.twoheadednerd.com you may have heard us mention the new site a couple times this week's show. Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to Stan Lee, who canceled several appearances last week to have a pacemaker implanted. Word to you, Stan the Man, who is reportedly in good healing condition. And now, more machine than man! Until next time, true believers, this is the Two-Headed Nerd, signing off, longest damn show. True Believers, copyright, 2012 Stan. <laughs> Don't sue us.